Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 12th episode of the Overline Sports Layup Line. I'm joined today, as always, by my co-host, Nolan Russell. Nolan, how's it going? Great. NBA Finals just wrapped up, so lots of basketball to get into, lots to talk about. So I'm excited to hop into this podcast with you. Yeah, same here. It's, it has been quite the week for basketball, as you said, and the finals just wrapped up. Giannis had a great closeout game, one of the greatest we've seen in the NBA Finals to give the Bucks the 4-2 to two win in six games. Uh, just off the top, Giannis had probably one of the more special NBA Finals runs we have ever seen. His averages were off the charts. His individual play on both on both sides of the ball were honestly spectacular to watch. Nolan, what do you think was the key for the Bucks in terms of Giannis's usage in this series that gave them uh, gave him the edge? Or do you think it was just Giannis being Giannis? I think Giannis <laughs> it is partially just Giannis being Giannis. I mean, he's a monster out there. Uh, really, really tough guy to stop. Just sort of bullied Aiden a lot. I don't think. Aiden was a great uh, matchup for him physically because Aiden, Aiden, I don't want to say he's soft, but he's, he doesn't really like the to play through the contact in the way that Giannis does. And Giannis was kind of just overpowering him a lot. And then there wasn't a lot of other options to really slow him down with guys like Crowder and Johnson and Bridges, all good defenders, but just not big enough to really bang with Giannis out there. So definitely a good individual matchup for him, but he, he capitalized on it and made the most of it and fantastic series for him. Yeah, I mean, just to run through his stat line really quick, because when I read this, I didn't quite believe it, but 35.2 points, 13.2 rebounds, five assists on the dot, shot 65.9% from the line, which for Giannis this year has been pretty good, um, especially going, what was it, 17 to 19 in game six? Yeah, something like that. He was he was dead eye in the final game. And also, I think this is the more impressive number right here, 61.8% from the field. That. That is ridiculous. Um, yeah, all, over 30 points a game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all credit in the world to Giannis and the Bucks. I mean, down 0-2, no one was really expecting a bounce back to, of this magnitude, and they really just took the bull by the horns and took over the series completely. I guess we should get into one of the series that we've been doing throughout the finals here. I mean, we were talking about our playoff MVP kind of round by round, and it has shifted a little bit as some teams have gotten eliminated and others have kind of risen to the occasion, but... I think uh, I think the general general consensus here I think kind of lies where the finals MVP does and I think it it almost has to be Giannis here. Yeah, I mean, towards the end of that series, I think even if the Suns came back and won in seven, I'd be uh, strongly leaning towards Giannis just based on his play uh, consistently throughout this whole playoffs. Um, and then obviously the fact that he just closed it out in that game six with a a monstrous performance really, I think it's it's not even a debate anymore. Uh, Giannis has to be a playoff MVP and deservedly so you he won the finals MVP as well yeah I I don't disagree with that I think with the playoff campaign that Giannis put up kind of culminating in the uh in the finals and game six in general I mean it's pretty hard to kind of come up with any other answer other than Giannis I mean he was he lived up to the Greek freak name I mean put up a 50 piece in a clinching game of the NBA finals to win his first championship as the series went on, I was saying it to a few different people that I was talking to. As much as I wanted the Suns to win to kind of complete the storybook turnaround of their franchise, a lot to do with Monty Williams and Chris Paul, of course. As the series went on, I realized that I didn't really mind who won because both narratives I think I was a big fan of. And I mean, Giannis winning and seeing that kind of raw emotion afterwards and him explaining how he literally came from nothing and made a name for himself in the NBA and how, and honestly, right now has probably become one of, if not the best player in the NBA strictly off of his hard work and determination. I mean, it was really cool to watch and even just seeing him with just raw emotion on the sideline right after just that shot of him in the chair with just tears streaking down his cheek. I mean, I don't think us as NBA fans or sports fans can possibly hate that. 
And I mean, it's just one of those things that reminds you that like sports, sports are honestly life at some point. And I mean, and these guys live and breathe the game and all of that raw motion coming out after all that effort putting forth throughout the playoffs. It, it was pretty cool to see. I can't lie. Yeah, I kind of was on the same page in the sense that I really liked both these teams. And I think there was a compelling narrative either way. And I, I would have loved to see Chris Paul get his ring. So I was I honestly I didn't really even have a rooting interest in this series. I would have been happy to see either one win. And I, I'm really glad the Bucks won for them, but I also would have been really glad if the Suns won. So it was a kind of a unique finals experience for me in the sense that I really just didn't have a, a rooting interest either way. I, I really like both of these teams. So I'm happy for the Bucks. I'm sad for the Suns though. So kind of mixed mixed emotions for me. Yeah. And I don't want to kick the Suns while they're down here, but I would do want to talk about Devin Booker here for a second. He did have his struggles in game six. I think when I looked at the box score at half, the most jarring number for me was seeing that Booker only had four points. That is just, you you just can't do that. (laughs) That just can't happen in a clinching game from an up and coming superstar. And I mean, I understand everyone has their off nights, but talking about putting your best foot forward when it matters most, playing the best game in the highest moment with the brightest lights. It was just very, honestly, it was very shocking to see considering how Booker has kind of lived up to every moment throughout the postseason. Even in uh, their first series, we were talking about it uh, a few weeks ago, how I think he had five of their seven games in that series were 40 point games or something like that, had over 42 points. Like you just, that's just unstoppable. <laughs> like that's just a guy getting everything he wants out there on the floor. But, and then even looking at his box score throughout the series, like when are you going to see Devin Booker shoot 26.8% from three? Like that, that never happens. So, I mean, he really didn't, do many favors for them in games in game six. But I mean, again, all credit to the Suns. I mean, getting there in general, I mean, they got through a lot of tough teams on the back of Booker, Paul, some of their other supporting cast. I do want to shout out Jay Crowder. He had a few really good games throughout the series as well. I'm shot the lights out in, I think game five. And yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I thought that was a bit shocking for me considering how well he was playing all postseason to see him kind of go out like that. The Drew Holiday effect games two to five holiday primarily guarded Chris Paul. And Paul struggled in a lot of those games. Game six, they put Holiday back on Booker. 50% of uh, the time he was guarding Booker. Only 16% of the time he was guarding Chris Paul. And then Booker goes and has a rough night. Shot uh, eight for 22 from the field. Big part of that was from Holiday guarding him. You know, he guarded him 50% of the game. So that's obviously... Like, Drew Drew kind of had some, some rough nights offensively in this series. But I think his defensive impact cannot be understated he was huge for them so yeah i think drew holiday deserves a lot of credit for for his performance defensively oh for sure he he creates a lot of problems out there he's probably one of the best perimeter defenders i would say in the league at the guard position for sure i also want to give him credit because he was the series leader assist average this playoffs was even beat out chris paul and he was really he was a huge facet out there i mean just was able to move the ball get the ball be honest in his in his spots whatever he couldn't honestly middleton had a few really good games as well and a lot of that was on the back of drew being able to give give the ball to him when he needed it when he was open and yeah how does how does struggles at times i mean only shot 36 percent from the field which when looking at it isn't great but considering how much he does in a two-way view of the game not necessarily just offensively I mean you can kind of overlook that a little bit I mean 36 is a bit low but he uh his impact out there as you said can't be understated so um yeah credit credit again to the Bucks I mean I I do want to bring up really quick though 
I don't really understand now the comparison saying you, oh, you're calling LeBron's team super teams, but you're not calling this a super team. This is nowhere near a super team. This Bucks team is all just hardworking two-way. Well, for the most part, just hardworking role players on the back of a guy like Giannis and honestly, Chris Middleton as well. I would say he's a, he's a star as well, but you can't possibly call this a super team. No one, no one defected to this team to chase for a ring. No one here is just in it for the glory. Everyone was, honestly here here from the jump for the most part i i don't know what your take was but i just thought i I thought that comparison was a bit outlandish i think to be a super team you have to have at least two all nba caliber players and a third all-star caliber player at least that that would be my opinion on that and i i don't see middleton as an all nba caliber player he is sort of an all-star player and then holiday is not even really an all-star player he's kind of close to that so to me they're they're not super far off that super team label, but uh, this is not a super team. They're, they're not quite there. This no. is a really, really great team led by a really great player and some excellent sidekicks, but this is this is not a super team. No. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I just, I read that and I was like, come on. <laughs> like people, people, and I will say, people have done everything to kind of discredit Giannis even since Harden's comments last year, just saying, oh, I wish I could just drive and lay the ball up. It's a very undermining to how much Giannis actually does on the floor. And I mean, I was watching a YouTube video yesterday and um, the guy that I was watching actually made a great point. He said, just because his game isn't like everyone else's game doesn't mean he's any worse or doesn't mean he deserves to be discredited. And the thing is, if if all he does is laying the ball up, as Harden said, then stop it. But you can't <laughs> because it's Giannis. And I mean, even then, yeah, he's... It should exp- be easy for every other uh, six foot 11 guy in the league to do it if it's, if it's so easy. Like, yeah. It's not like Giannis is the biggest player in the league. No. And, and even to that point, like he, you also have to give him credit. He's expanded his game a lot since he's coming to the league. I mean, he really used to be that, like he really just used to be a big rim runner when he got into the league. And now you see him shooting like off balance, off balance, mid ranges, fading mid ranges, turnaround. Much better passer than he gets credit for too. Yeah. Much better passer is yeah. I mean, average five assists in the series as well to go with his 13 rebounds and 35 points. Uh, like that's so that's so unreal but i mean you can't hate this guy you you really can't and people tried for a long time to discredit his greatness and i think that he's at the point where people people may come in my head for this but i think he is probably the best player in the league right now i mean we've seen sample sizes of durant which i can give credit to i think durant when healthy is probably the best scorer in the league but in terms of the best player in the league i i don't think you can look past Giannis. I think this is the most wide open it has been in a while in terms of who the best player in the league is. I think there's still a strong case for LeBron, though. I do think he's starting to fade a little bit. He's still definitely in the debate. I think Giannis has firmly planted himself in the debate. I still think Steph Curry is in that debate. Mm-hmm. You get him a, a more competent team around him. I think w- watch Curry out for the Warriors well. next year. I think Kevin Durant is definitely in the debate. To me, those are, those are the four that I would say are the four best in the league. And I think there, there's a few other guys that yeah, are close to that level, but I, I think those four have kind of established themselves as the top four. Yeah. And I, I don't really have a huge preference of as to which way I would rank those guys. I think in the right system with the right team, any one of those guys could be the most valuable. So I, I'm not opposed to saying Giannis is the best player in the league either, to be honest with you. But coming into the playoffs, my pick would have been Steph. I think Steph is the most malleable in terms of being able to fit around other players. Um, yeah, his game, his game really does work with everyone. 
Yeah, his game translates better to to star caliber teams, but I don't think he's as much of a kind of carry a team guy as some of these other players are. So I think it, it depends on the, the context. Like, I don't know. You could really make a strong case for any one of these guys. Yeah, you really can. I like as as much as you say it's wide open, which I would agree with. I mean, the thing for me that really sells it and has sold it over the last little while is Giannis always shows up. There's not there's not a day that Giannis goes in the arena where he's not if he's if he's playing bad offensively, he shows up defensively. If yeah. he doesn't have the blocks, the steals, shot contests defensively, he's showing up offensively. Like just that kind of versatility on both sides of the ball, able to guard the majority of positions, majority of players in the league, um, has stapled himself as I would say like a top three, if not top five defender in the league. Um, yeah, I mean I agree. that that kind of value on both sides of the ball. I mean, you really can't discredit that. And even then, now with the resume that we were talking about earlier, that he has a twenty six. I mean, that not like that has anything to do with his actual play on the floor, but. I just think that accolades do kind of represent how valuable a player is and how good they are to, to an extent. Yeah, for sure. I want to ask you this because this is actually something I saw, I think a tweet about this today and I'm, I'm honestly on the fence of this is Giannis the second best power forward of all time now. Funny you say that I was, I was uh, actually having that discussion at work yesterday. Um, so w- with that, you're kind of assuming Tim Duncan is the number one. Yeah, I still Dirk, say Dirk, Tim Dirk is, is now the number three. I need what? Carl is Dirk Malone, the number Carl, three? Yeah, I would say him or Carl Malone. I would say are kind of interchangeable there. I think KG and Carl Malone would both be above Dirk for me. Fair enough. And yeah. I think Charles Barkley is in that combo too. I think. I don't. I don't think for a position is Barclay very tough breaks. to rank. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm not here to bag on Barkley, but I don't think. I don't think Barkley breaks into the top. Five, if we're assuming Giannis is there already, if we're saying it's Duncan in no particular, I think it's Duncan one, and then there is a sort of three clear way like next like four guys that are pretty much interchangeable for me, being so Giannis, Giannis, Malone, Barkley, KG, Dirk. I guess five guys there. Yeah. So the the two to six spots are very very tough to rank at this point, and I think Giannis is firmly on the trajectory trajectory to get into that number two spot. The only it's thing not number cool. one. If no. not number one, it's possible. One I think by the end of Duncan. by the end of his career, him and Duncan will be able to kind of have a spitting contest as to who is the best power forward of all time. But as of right now, the only thing that is holding him back, and I said this yesterday as well, is longevity. Yeah, yes, sure. yeah, yes, he has an unbelievable, re- arguably, arguably a storybook resume at 26. The only thing that he doesn't have is a full career. If Giannis makes it to land, not again, not to not to predictively assume that he's going to get hurt or that he's going to fall off skill wise, but all it takes is for him to get to 35 playing the way that he is. I think he'll be the best power forward to ever play the game. I think if he yeah. puts up another 10 years of the way that he's playing now, assuming that he'll have even just picking up half of the accolades he already has, he's going to pick up all star games. He's going to pick up all NBAs. At least he'll probably pick up another defensive player of the year, probably another MVP at some point. Like that's an unbelievable resume for anybody, let alone a guy like Giannis who has worked on his craft so much, improved so much on both sides of the ball. I I'm hard pressed to put him outside my top three. I just don't know who else joins him and Duncan in the top three because I'm a big dirt guy. I think he's arguably the most skilled big man of all time. I think he's one of them kind of revolutionized the stretch big. And then I'm a big KG guy. I like, I I love KG Garnett. Garnett's prime was unfortunately wasted with some of the worst management we've ever seen in the league. Yeah, it was. And uh, also the fact that he was in 
quite possibly the most difficult conference ever when the, the Lakers, Kings, Mavs, and Spurs are all consistently championship caliber teams. Yeah. And then the Suns kind of joined that group in the latter half of that decade too. And, you know, you the can Wolves, only ima- you can only imagine. There's only so much you can do impressive. when you got like Latrell Sprewell as your second yeah. best player, you know, especially when you're going up against Shaq and Kobe and Duncan and all those guys in the playoffs every year. Well, yeah, Dirk. That's, that's what I'm saying. You could only imagine how, how much better his resume could have been if he played in any other era. But again, that's, that's the hardest part about it is kind of guys who would be higher all time, who unfortunately got overshadowed by bigger players and brighter lights. I think wow. I would take prime Garnett over prime Dirk Malone Barkley. But I don't know if Garnett's career as a whole is as high as those guys. It's kind of, it's yeah. highly debatable. I, I think I Barkley agree. would I be my number six. I agree with Barkley is an incredible number six that is, has a case for being as high as like two or three. Like he's not that far off. He definitely has. Guys. I think he has a case for top four or five. As I said, I just don't think he breaks it. If we're cons- if we're assuming that Duncan and Giannis are in the top three, I'm fine with putting KG there, as you said, reminiscent of his short prime. I'm more comfortable putting Malone or Dirk there personally, considering they played full careers and kind of have those same accolades that KG has, don't get me wrong, but have also done it for a longer time and didn't really have the same significant fall off. I, I, think, I, yeah, I think that's Carl hard. Malone is my... Oh God, is he my number two? Is he number three? I think I think Giannis might be my number two, but is a five-year basically basing this off of a five-year sample size of him being an all-star, right? And more or less four years of dominance and a fifth solid year, and then yeah. first three years in the league he was he was fine. But is that is that a big enough sample size for me to feel comfortable putting him in, at number two already? Number two already ahead of guys who have played full careers. And... I think I think Giannis these past three seasons is better than any of those guys were at their at their peak. But it's it's very close still. Are so you, maybe you're, you're talking any of those guys dis discluding Tim Duncan, right? No, yeah, not including Duncan. Okay, because I I'm higher on Duncan than most people. Like Duncan to me is is arguably a top five player of all time. I he I think is, he, is, I think he was the best player of the 2000s, and I have him over both Kobe and Shaq which I know is a controversial opinion. So I'm very high on Tim Duncan. <laughs> I, I'm a big Tim Duncan guy as well. I have him on a, on any given day. I have him between five and I think seven or eight whenever I'm ranking. Yeah, I think top, top 10 is tough to rank. There's so many There's good players so, in there. <laughs> so many good players and so many arguments you can make. For me personally, as you mentioned, I don't really feel comfortable right now putting Giannis at two because of his small sample size. He doesn't have that kind of longevity that these other guys have, but as I said, give it five to 10 more years of the same way he's playing. I think he's a lock number two for me right now. I would, and even then, who are you going to slot ahead of him? And how many do you slot? Is it one or two? It's, like, it's so tough because yeah. I was already like very much on the fence between Malone, Dirk, KG and Barkley was always kind of just on the outside for me. So I still feel comfortable having Giannis above Barkley. But I, I, there's an argument to have Giannis behind all those guys, and there's an argument to have Giannis above all those guys too. Like it's kind of hard to slot him in because they're all so close. Like okay, uh, right, right I think now, I would have Carl Malone second because he okay, has that's... both in a, a great peak and the longevity. And if Michael Jordan didn't exist, he'd be a two-time champion. Okay, that's that's what I was thinking. For me, it feels I feel bad moving down Dirk because of how much I respect Dirk's game and how much he did for basketball. But I would probably say Duncan, Malone, 
And now is it Giannis or Dirk? Like <laughs> that's I, I have Garnett over Dirk, I think. I have Dirk five. I think Dirk is a great offensive hub, but he's he has some holes in his game that the other guys here don't have. He was never a great rebounder, he was never a great defender, he wasn't a great passer. So he's someone that you can use as your centerpiece of your team, but you have to have the right guys around him to really build an elite team. And I think Garnett is more of a, a carrier while also being able to fit with other guys. So that's why I'd have him above him. So yeah, I think fair. Garnett is my number four and, and Giannis is my number three. I think that's where I would go. Malone two, Giannis three, Garnett four, Dirk five, Barkley six. But like, if I were to do an all-time ranking, all these guys are going to be like pretty much neck and neck on my yeah. my all-time list of every position. They'd be, they'd probably all be in the like fifteen to twenty-five range. Yeah, like they're all so close. I think I would have the same as you. I think I would be more inclined to swap Dirk and Garnett for me personally. Could be a bit of biased. I was just Dirk was one of the first guys that I gravitated to watching basketball. As I hate to be, keep saying what he did for the game, but I mean he was really like one of the first revolutionary stretch bigs in the league yeah, and sure. i mean did it did a lot for floor spacing and kind of game planning against a guy like dirk unstoppable yeah, I, I think, post fadeaways too yeah are yeah one of the best turnaround games if he the hits league. the shot like you can't stop it really it's just no. a matter of just trying to throw him off his rhythm and hoping he misses. well it's basically like not letting him get his spot like it's like it's yeah. like basically the same as kobe like if you let kobe get anywhere below like the hash on either wing and like a 10 to 15 footer like if you don't have a guy who's like three to four inches bigger than him, and even then, you're realistically not stopping that shot. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's kind of the same with Kareem Skyhook. Yeah, like it's some of the most unstoppable moves of all time. Dirk's fadeaway is absolutely in that in that list. Actually, now that we're talking about most unstoppable moves of all time, I think Shaq's drop step has to be up there too. <laughs> Shaq, it's just Shaq. Shaq with the ball. Shaq being Shaq. <laughs> Shaq from like 2000 to like 2003, or like 99 to 03, probably. Yeah. I, and then he kind of, his weight started to slow him down a little bit, but a little bit. Incredible peak. His peak was unbelievable. Yeah, it was. It was really, it was so special to watch. And like, again, I wasn't even alive. Well, I was alive. I got born in 2000. Sort of, so yeah. like I could, felt like I could comprehend what was happening with Shaq, but going, going back and watching. Just lit, and it sounds stupid to say dominance. Shaq dominated the league in his prime. Like there was no one who could stop Shaq. He was a force of nature. Nobody could guard him. He got exactly what he wanted. He's one of the only players to make the NBA make a rule change so that he couldn't dominate like that. Yeah, he's he's like the the modern day Wilt Chamberlain. Basically, that's a good. That's a, actually a really good comparison. But Wilt was faster. <laughs> Which is, have you seen that video of him sprinting down the floor? Oh, Wilt, man, I I think people don't realize because Wilt exaggerates a lot of things about himself, like in interviews and stuff. Like he's like, oh, I have a fifty-inch vertical and all all this crap that's just not accurate. But Wilt was legitimately an unbelievable athlete. This guy was a high school track like champion, three-time high jump champion in in college. Like this guy was a seven footer and he was a high, high jump champion. And then he, he went and played professional volleyball in his forties and was an MVP in the, the top volleyball league in the world. He, he had a hall of fame volleyball career as a 40 year old. And he never played volleyball until he was 34 years old. Like That's just insane. imagine how insane that is. Like that is insane. It's unbelievable how athletic this guy was. And I, yeah, I just I always mean, go Wilt's, back. Wilt's ridiculous. 
yeah, I just go back to that video because watching it. So I forget who the guard was at the time. Takes down the rebound under the net and starts a full sprint towards the other end. Wilt is stride for stride and then breaks out above half court and is like clearly ahead of him by like two oh, strides yeah. and they were sprinting He's the fast. same. He's super fast. Crazy. Relative to height, like that is unbelievable. That's that in itself is a crazy feat. I think my favorite Wilt stat is the fact that the one season he played 48 and a half minutes per game on average. An average game is 48 minutes. Yeah. He literally he literally did not come off the court once except for one game where he got ejected with 8 minutes left. Aside from that, he played every single minute including overtimes of games. So he actually averaged more minutes than games like than actual minutes in the game. Like I unbelievable. Imagine. I couldn't imagine like the other team just staring across at Wilt. Like, when are you going to sit down? <laughs> I, I saw like, I saw an article or something where uh, the coach that season, like they got a new coach that introduced himself to Wilt. And he's like, how many minutes do you want to play a game? Or like, when do you want me to take you off or something like that? Never. When, when he first met him, he's like, I don't want you to ever sub me off. <laughs> and he never did. He, he literally played every minute. Like it's unbelievable. That's the guy was a freak of nature. Anyway, let's uh let's get back on track because yeah. I think we we got a bit into the rabbit hole there. Um, we were talking about top four uh, power forwards yeah. of all time. Hmm, where shall we segue this? Somehow transitioned to Shaq and then Wilt. So yeah, yeah let's no, get, that was, uh, that, was great, that was a great here. train of thought. We just went on that was, <laughs> that was seamless. Yeah, I mean, there's not much else to say about the series. Do we want to maybe get into the uh, Olympic stuff? Yeah, sure. We can touch on that briefly. I don't know how close you you follow uh, Olympic basketball or anything like that, but um, I've been I've been following it a decent amount. I mean, I've I've tuned in for um, a few games here and there. I've mostly just been following stats and highlights, but I can just swing it over to you first, and then you can kind of talk about it. Sure. I, I want to hear your thoughts on FIBA released their power rankings. They have Team USA in third, behind Australia and Spain. Now this was this was a couple. This was about a week ago now. But I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah. I think it's I think it's a bit it's a bit unwarranted. And I understand you see two losses against two teams that should not be beating them. It's still the US. It's still basically the all-star team of the NBA. And I understand, oh my god, they lost to two mediocre teams. And I get that. I'm not gonna I mean, say lost, Australia is a really damn good team. Oh, Australia Australia is a good team. Yeah, I'm not again, not to discredit other teams, but <laughs> they're not I'm not gonna say they're not the US, but they're not the US. I mean the US has every every single possible positive you could want on a roster, but you can't make it win. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. So the thing that's kind of holding me back with putting them at three is the fact that I'm not going to say they're not meaningful games, but they're not they're not competitive tournament games. I'm not convinced that even though they lost twice now, that they still don't deserve to be number one. And they may seem may seem like a bit of a like high horse bias considering that they are the most talented on paper team. But I just think it's a bit I think it's a bit premature to jump the ship considering they haven't played an actual tournament game yet. Yeah. I mean, there was kind of a similar discussion after they lost an exhibition game to Australia in 2019, right before the world cup where people are like, ah, it doesn't matter. It's just an exhibition game. Then team USA ended up finishing seventh in that tournament. So I, I do think that there's some reason to be a little bit concerned with this roster to me. Like, I think they're still, they should be number one. I think you got to put respect on that, on that team, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if they, if they don't win gold, I think there's a lot of really good teams at this. Yeah, tournament. I wouldn't be shocked either. And 
I, I would I would really not be that surprised to see like Australia win. I think Australia is a very good team. They've beat us the last two times they've played both exhibition games, but this, this is a good roster, lots of NBA talent, lots of shooting, really good defense. They got Patty Mills who always just randomly becomes a superstar whenever he plays for Australia. Um, so I, I think they're, they're a dangerous team. I think Spain's a dangerous team. Slovenia's got Luca. They're going to be good. France has a really good roster with uh, Fournier, Batum, Gobert, quite a few good EuroLeague players like Nando DiColo. Nigeria is a good team here as well. They obviously beat U.S. in an exhibition game. Argentina, the reigning silver medalists, uh, they got a, quite a few hey, you know, NBA role players. I, so. can't, can't lie, Canada's not bad either. Yeah, well, they didn't qualify, but... Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. yeah, that's very unfortunate. We could have had a good team. I think we should have, like, considering how much talent we have, I think we definitely should have been there. I mean, that that loss, that loss still hurts. Like, <laughs> they really did just throw that game away. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, not not to get too depressed here. There's, a, as you said, there is a lot of talent. And I'm not, again, not trying to just side with the U.S. just strictly off of, like, talent bias. But I think even even though they did lose those games, not to say that they didn't matter again, but they really, they're not tournament games. They're not. They're not actually, well, I mean, I guess there's no way to say that they're not meaningful without saying they're not meaningful. So they don't really mean anything. <laughs> they don't. They're not They're not tournament games. They're not competitive games. They're not in the mindset of kind of the one and done situation, even though it won't be like that. But yeah, I think it'll take them losing. I think in the group stage, I think that'll really be, that'll kind of they be. They got France in their factor. opening match, which is going to be a good game. That, that, that will be a good game. France eliminated them at the World Cup, so they've got some extra motivation against them too. It should be a good match. Yeah, go bear with a monster game. Uh, yeah, I think I think we've pretty much covered all the bases here. Yeah, I think we have. Um, I think while we're on the FIBA, while we're on the FIBA train, I think we should maybe maybe talk about some sleepers. Or well, no, maybe not sleepers. Maybe just talk about like besides the U.S., who's your favorite to like best them? Australia. I, I think I was Australia also, has I was also gonna say Australia. a really great roster for. For the way that they they play FIBA basketball, because there there are a lot of tenacious guys on that team that that know how to play the physical style of FIBA basketball. They got incredible shooting throughout their lineup, which is always huge. Because if you're going to beat a skilled team like US, you got to just shoot lights out. And when you got guys like Mills and Ingles and uh, Golding, who plays in Australia, but one of the best shooters in the world, Jock Landale is one of your big men who can just snipe it from outside as well. Like. They got a lot of great shooting on that team. And I don't know. I think they've just, they've got a lot of experience together and they've had past success against the U S. So I think they're the team. If anyone's going to beat them, they're the most likely, I think. Yeah. I don't, I don't disagree with that. I was going to say the same thing. I think um, if there's any team that's kind of built for the moment, I feel like it's going to be Australia, as you said, kind of just a well, well put together kind of gel team that knows how to play well together. So I I'm not that invested in the uh, in the international side of basketball, but just kind of knowing what I know, I would definitely probably lean towards Australia or even a team like Spain. I think Spain's another kind of veteran team that could kind of shock a lot of people. So I would definitely say one of those. Yeah. Reigning World Cup champions, Team Spain, definitely a team that's always going to be a really competitive. They, they've got a really old roster now, but they still mm -hmm. play really well together and lots of shooting on that team as well. Lots of experience. So. They're very good the well. vets ever the yep. veterans the veterans will shock you don't do not <laughs> underestimate the old head of the ymca he will give you buckets 
Did you know Pau Gasol's playing? I don't know if you is he? If you, yeah, he is. That's awesome. Wait, Pau, how old's Pau now? Like 37? He's 41. He's 41? <laughs> oh my god. I didn't realize he was that old. Yeah. That's awesome. Old. No, that's gonna be great to watch. I love that. I mean, he's like their third string center, so I wouldn't expect a lot of minutes for him, but Pau Pau drops a double double game one. I'd lose my mind. Okay, you know what? I'll say it on here. If for whatever reason, if Powell drops a double double, I will buy a Lakers Powell Gasol jersey. That will be okay. that will be my little incentive to like kind of let Powell go off here. I feel like I'm kind of predictively, predictively assuming that he's going to go off, but um, I doubt it. Considering they've got Mark and uh, Willie Herman and Gomez also on the team, who are going to get most of the center. Yeah, minutes, they're going to but... get all the minutes. <laughs> I would love to have both both the Gasols out there at the same time, though. That'd be kind of neat. I feel like they'll do that at some point. Yeah, at some point. Um, okay. Well, I hope I hope I end up buying a Powell Gasol jersey in the next few weeks. And I guess, I guess with that, that's pretty much it. I'd like to thank Nolan as always for joining me. We hadn't recorded one of these in a while. So kind of with the finals wrapping up, we were looking forward to getting back on here. We're going to be recording another episode today um, with uh, Braden. We're going to be talking about the NBA draft, what the Raptors are going to do, some of the most underrated picks going into the first round, stuff along that lines. Um, Nolan, are you going to be uh, releasing anything soon that the, the people should know about? Yeah, I got two Olympic preview articles coming out back-to-back days. And then my uh, NBA draft big board, it's coming out. Probably a couple of days before the draft, so keep an the eye on NBA that as well. Big Bird, before he talks about it, is a must read. If you want all of the all of your necessary draft info, go right to Nolan. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> no, just you're always so in depth with it, and uh, and it always is usually an essay, but it's an essay worth reading. So I would definitely consider checking that out. How long? How long is this one? Because I don't think it's as long as the last one, is it? It's longer. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, yeah, it's going to be long. I remember but reading your last lots one. of, lots of, uh, short sentences and images and stuff. So it's easy read. Yeah. Kind of skim through it. It's like a picture book. And I guess with that, I guess we have, uh, nothing really else to add. It has been a slice, everybody. Thank you for tuning in, uh, tuning in to our podcast for this entire season. We're going to be continuing our coverage of both the international side and NBA draft lead up. We're also going to do some more creative episodes, some what if scenarios, some top fives coming up. So be on the lookout for that. And with that, don't miss your layups. Have a great weekend. And yeah.